God I'd give anything for a drink. I'd give my goddamn soul for just a glass of beer. The Shining, 1980. God dang it. Okay. All right. Hi. Woo! <laughs> All right. Hi there. Friends and weirdos, welcome or welcome back. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird, our last episode in our spooky season block. And it's going to get pretty spooky. I think this is going to be a great episode. Mm-hmm. Uh. My end of it, once again, got darker than I anticipated going in, but I'm looking forward to talking about our topic. And this episode, I feel like we're taking our theme of real life horrors Mm -hmm. the most literally, wouldn't you say? Yes, I, I would say that is a good way to put it. All right, so first and foremost the drink for this episode. You know, I was, <laughs> last episode, there's like a golden nugget at the end of the last main episode when Tiffany and I really let our hair down and talk about Midnight Mass. And I was mm-hmm. inspired. This drink, Midnight Mass actually inspired this drink, but it fits in the theme. Mm-hmm. It is gin, pineapple juice, lime juice, a little bit of club soda with some activated charcoal so it's black and I put some edible glitter in there and I really feel like it's the epitome of midnight mass. I love that. Ooh. And it's perfect. delicious. So per usual our drinks the recipes and the pictures are on our social media, mostly Instagram. Um so if you're interested in looking at that go over to Happy Air Gets Weird on Instagram and you can check all that out. So, and if you have an idea for a drink, DM us. Or an episode. Or an episode. Either one. You could DM us and we're usually available within a day or so. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, without further ado, I'm sure that people are tired of me saying that, but I'm going to continue to say it because I like how it makes me feel. And um, let's get into it. Okay. I will go first. All right. In closing out our block on real life horrors, we are talking about the true origins of some of our favorite horror movies. Mm-hmm. Did I explain it uh, well enough? Yeah, because I think like we had like an overall theme of real life horrors and then we get these fictional horrors from movies, right? So mm-hmm. we kind of took inspiration from movies and translated that to like whoa what if that happened in real life and then we'd find cases that kind of aligned with the horrors in the horror movies that that were then real life horrors so like because our last main episode we did a location inspired by a horror location this is the actual locations that horror movies were built on yes there we go we got there people we got there yeah okay So today I'm going to tell the backstory of what has become one of the biggest names in horror. And then at the end, we can discuss the many movies that have stemmed from this place. Sound good? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. 
as always, I had many sources that I pulled from to get information for this episode. My main sources were biography.com and all this interesting article and Wikipedia. Uh, We'll have our sources in the notes as always. In December of 1975, the Lutz family, George, Kathy, and their kids, moved into a beautiful home at 112 Ocean Avenue, a large Dutch colonial house that sat in the suburban neighborhood of Amityville, Long Island, New York. A house that we have all come to know as the Amityville Horror House. It was just 13 months after a horrific murder. In fact, the murderer had been convicted just a month before the Lutz family moved into the home. And not surprisingly, they got the place for a steal. Not only because of the truly gruesome familicide that had taken place in the residence, but also because the perpetrator of the crimes claimed that voices in his head told him to do it. Which can only make people wonder, where were the voices coming from? Soon after moving into the home, the Lutz family claimed to experience very scary things in a very haunted house. Despite the fact they had the property blessed upon moving in, although they claimed the priest conducting the blessing was told, get out. (laughs) By an unknown source? Voice. Oh my goodness. Or maybe it was, get out. (laughs) I don't know. Could have been any version of get out. Get out. Like Elaine from Seinfeld? Yeah. Or like, get out. (laughs) Or like, get out. I'm going to add an effect there so it's very scary. (laughs) It seems that the variety of spooky claims came mainly from George. The family purportedly experienced green slime oozing from walls, foul smells wafting through the rooms from an unknown source, flies appearing in the rooms without any reason. It's the flies for me. I'm sorry. I can't. No. Ew. You don't want a swarm of flies attacking you when you walk into your bedroom? <laughs> no, thanks. <I'm> lame. <laughs> Chuggy. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Doors would slam shut. The house had cold spots. George said he woke each night at 3.15. He also claimed he saw his wife levitating. George's main claim was that very quickly after moving into the house, he began to mentally deteriorate. Hmm. 28 days later, the Lutz family moved out. Really stuck it out for the long haul. Yeah, I mean... You think if you're going to buy a house with that kind of history, you'd have a little bit more audacity to stay longer than less than a month. Paranormal researchers soon swarmed the property. How could they resist? They claimed that something demonic was in the house. In September of 1977, Jay Anson's book, The Amityville Horror, was published. It was based on the 28-day period during December 1975 and January 1976 when the Lutz family lived in the Amityville home. The book used 45 hours of the family's recorded interviews to guide it. Then, the 1979 film adaptation of this novel was released. 
It became the highest grossing independent film of all time and held that record until 1990. Holy shit. Yeah. Pretty wild and crazy, as you say. It is wild and crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, as it so often happens in the world of the paranormal, most of the ghost stories that are the basis of the majority of the Amityville movies and books have been basically debunked. Claims were made that the stories were exaggerated and apparently, or I guess this is a claim, um, there was a claim that the entire haunting story was sort of uh, concocted between George and Weber. So Weber was the attorney who had defended the murderer that gave the Amityville house its horrible legacy. I mean, I wonder why would that be for acquittal reasons? Just for money. Okay. For- so they pretty much got together, got drunk, and then Weber kind of fed information to George. And George is like, I'm going to say this stuff happened. Your information makes my stories more believable. Okay. Um, And then we'll, you know, make a book, make a movie, whatever, and I'll get money from it. Which this is coming from Weber. George, I believe, always stuck to his story, at least from what I found. He's, he said that things did happen, although I think that pretty much everyone in the family agrees that many of the stories were exaggerated. Okay. The family seems a little bit split. One son said nothing ever happened. Another son said things definitely happened. So I don't know. It's a paranormal story. This is kind of how they go nine times out of ten. It's just we know the paranormal. It comes with the territory with paranormal. Yeah. And it's also paranormal experiences are so personal. Mm-hmm. Like, I can see why people would think that this house is haunted yeah. based on what happened there. Yeah. And if you're sensitive to that, I could see somebody experiencing something in this house. Mm-hmm. Future residents at the Amityville house were only tormented by the troves of looky-loos that kept coming by to check out the property. So after the Lutz family moved out, future residents didn't have a problem with haunting, which is also interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's worse, a haunting or people just showing up at your house. Like I, my biggest fear is that I am at my house and someone shows up unannounced. I would rather have a ghost than just people randomly coming by, parking on my lawn and taking pictures in front of my house. I, I, yeah, I, it's a hard choice for me because I don't like either one. Yeah, the the new owners of the house even changed the home's house number. <laughs> Obviously, they can't change the street because yeah. they're on the street, but they tried to change the house number. But luckily, multiple articles I read were kind enough to reveal the new house number without any hesitation. Oh my gosh, that is modern day doxing. I mean, isn't they all straight up said the new, <laughs> they straight up gave the new address and it's like, you don't have to make it easier. No, and I'm sure the post office did not make it easy for them to change the house number. Have you ever tried to change no. anything at the post office? They're pretty strict over there. It's almost like they are ran by the federal government or something. It's like, get it together. It's almost like they are the DMV's uh, sister. Or Sexy that. cousin? I was going to say the aerobic that teaches aerobics, like the DMV sister that's an aerobic instructor. and the dmv is like the stoner brother he'll get to it okay i was thinking dmv was like the bitter divorcee with three kids (laughs) oh my god okay (laughs) 
If you work for the DMV or the post office, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you for your service. So despite the fact that most of the Amityville movies and the novel are based on the haunting aspect of the house, which is probably at the very least exaggerated, there is a true and very tragic side to this story. And that is the story of the DeFeo family murders. On November 13, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed six members of his family while they slept in their beds. So I'm going to give you a very brief little bit about Ronald DeFeo Jr. The DeFeos were a well-off family, and Ronald was financially taken care of for sure. He was always kind of a screw-up, but his family, I think, tried to pacify him with financially taking care of him. Mm -hmm. Hush money. You know, like give him money, like we love Ronnie, whatever. Here's, Mm -hmm. you know, please stay out of trouble. Here's some money. Here's a speedboat. Mm -hmm. It's fine. (laughs) Despite that, Ronald seemed to have a very bad temper, which I guess goes without saying. Mm -hmm. I believe that he inherited his rage issues from his father. Different places, different articles that I read made mention of his father being somewhat abusive but I don't know if that's abusive by today's standards or 1970s standards, which unfortunately are two very different things. I don't know if at the time he was considered abusive or looking back, we realize it's abuse. Does that make sense? Totally. Like 1970, there's a high percentage that most parents in some way, intentional or unintentional because of the, the time period, were abusive. Yes, but it was things that at the time were considered normal. So they, I'm not yes. sure I'm not sure to what level there was abuse yeah. is what I'm getting at. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you say if by 1970s standards yeah. if he was abusive, like that's pretty pretty bad. As Ronald got older, his anger issues were only exacerbated by drugs and he was doing like LSD and stuff. It wasn't it was some drugs that I think would probably be a bad choice if you already have uh anger issues Mm -hmm. or mental health issues Mm -hmm. and the conflicts between him and his father only worsened apparently he had I saw this only in one article but he had attempted to shoot his father before in the heat of an argument but the gun malfunctioned what the fuck I believe that his parents tried to get him help for um some of his issues but it was a short-lived experiment I guess oh They tried it. It didn't last very long, so they didn't do it again. Exactly. I don't think that he was really interested himself in getting mental help. Okay. All this is to say, maybe no one would have been that surprised if something between the two Ronald DeFeos would have happened. There was tension, and clearly money was in play. But the fact that the entire family, including children were murdered is so beyond anything that anyone can wrap their mind around. And I think that that is why this story has stuck with us for so long. Yeah. So the story goes that around 6 p.m. on November 13th, Ronald DeFeo ran into the local bar that he was a regular at and yelled, quote, you got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot, end quote. So Ronald and a couple of what I can only imagine were at least somewhat intoxicated friends went rushing to his house and walked into a terrifying scene. As I said, the entire DeFeo family, except for Ronald, of course, were dead. They were shot with a 35 caliber rifle. 
The victims were Ronald DeFeo Sr., 43, and Louise DeFeo, his mother, who was also 43, as well as his four siblings, Dawn, 18, Allison, 13, Mark, 12, and John Matthew, 9. Most were thankfully asleep when the attack happened. However, there was some physical evidence to suggest that Louise DeFeo and her daughter Allison were both awake at the time of their deaths. It's so awful. Yeah, it is. So I believe it was a friend who called the police, as Ronald should have done in the first place, Mm -hmm. instead of running into a bar, (laughs) which we were both bartenders, and I cannot imagine if somebody ran into our bar and said that. Yelp this. No, like, how is that your first instinct? Oh, my God, so stupid. Fucking moron and a piece of shit. So Ron, Ronald was taken to the police station, of course, where he first claimed that the killings had been carried out by a a mob hitman named Louis Fellini. Uh, I do believe there was some type of mob connection in the family, but maybe that's just speculation. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I called my mob, my connection with the mob. They, as usual, weren't fucking saying anything. You no know? comment. No comment. I was like, fine. I get it. However, after a few hours of questioning, DeFeo's story fell apart. I think as we've all figured out <sighs> by now, he was not clever. Uh, the hitman he tried to pin this one on wasn't even in the state. So... DeFeo soon admitted to the murders. In his ramblings, Ronald DeFeo told detectives, quote, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Yikes. Had to walk from room to room in a big house. Seriously. Don't think, I think you had plenty of time to, to think about what you were doing and stop yourself, but okay. At his trial, Ronald DeFeo's defense asserted that he was insane and that he believed his family was plotting to kill him. And somehow voices were involved that led him to commit the crime. The prosecution claimed that although Ron was on heroin and LSD. Oh, brother. Okay. I don't know if at the time of the crimes, but he was just a heroin, a known heroin and LSD user. I feel like those two things, especially combined, aren't good for your cognitive abilities i don't think that he was on them like i said like actively on them during the crime i just think he was a known user yeah i mean i'm sure those would have some lasting side effects i would think so so um the prosecution claimed that ronald actually had an antisocial personality disorder Mm -hmm. and was totally aware of his actions at the time of the crime and the jury believed the prosecution side. Okay. On November 21st, 1975, Ronald DeFeo was found guilty on six counts of second-degree murder. And on December 4th, 1975, he was given six sentences of 25 years to life. Mm. After Ronald's incarceration, he came up with a few more stories Oh, interesting. Um, he's kind of, when you read about his his case and his sentence and controversies about it, he's kind of known for making up a lot of different stories. Mm-hmm. In one story, he claimed that one of his victims, his sister Dawn, had actually helped him commit the crime 
and then he it was just supposed to be the parents and he got so enraged when he realized that Dawn had killed the other siblings that he turned on her and killed her which I don't believe there was any evidence to ever corroborate any of this bullshit and I just think it's really fucked up that he would try to point a finger at one of his victims like it's just gross to me obviously Mm -hmm. he also claimed that he was married to a woman named Geraldine Gates and that he was living with her at the time of the murder but that was also easily disproven like they were married years later I wonder if he did have some like uh, just I wonder if he believed these things because he was delusional or if he was just trying to spin some kind of weird web Maybe he just wanted to to be in the spotlight, and when he started to drift out of it, he would make up another bizarre story. Yeah. Because he did interviews and things like that, obviously, over the years. He Mm -hmm. also claimed that he never wanted to say that he was, um, he never wanted to plead insanity. He said that that was thought up by Weber, his attorney, Mm -hmm. who later supposedly, you know, worked with George Lutz on creating the whole haunting aspect of the story Mm -hmm. he claimed um so ronald claimed in an interview that weber wanted him to do the insanity plea basically to help spin this case in a way that they could make money off of it later which is so unethical in my opinion even even after the fact getting with george lutz and creating this story because he basically just at the expense of this family, used, made money. Yeah. It's just so unethical. Ugh. Yeah. And then it's also like, but also we don't even know if it's true. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. they didn't make up the whole story. Like, it's just the whole thing is just kind of like a he said, he said. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe it's like just Limp he Biscuit stop said. talking. It's bullshit, it's you know? Just- <laughs> oh, that's a flashback there. It's all about the he said, she said bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> it was a lot. I read so many articles that it was kind of, uh-huh. it felt very gossipy. Yeah. At certain times. So yeah. I can't speak to the validity of those things. These are just things getting talked about in articles over the years mm-hmm. since the fucking 70s. Half the shit came from somebody who was is a murderer and half of it is from somebody who defended him. And then the other half is from somebody who claimed that the house was haunted. You know, it's just like there's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I wouldn't bet money on any of these guys. I'm just putting the facts out that I, or the, not even the facts. I'm just putting information out <laughs> that I received. There are people who doubt how the murders took place. And there are people who definitely believe the house was haunted. Okay. And this brings me to the, one of the strange aspect the, one of the strange aspects about this case. I guess there's a few strange things. But this kind of stick, stuck out to me. And this is the point that believers who believe that something evil was at hand point to. Most, if not all, of the family members were asleep despite the fact a silencer was not used. The shots didn't wake anyone. Ronald claimed he drugged the family, but the toxicology reports showed no um, drugs in the family system. In fact, no neighbors heard the shots either. Hmm. So nobody heard any of this. And I don't even think that they know for certain if two 
of the victims were actually awake as they said that the mother and daughter might have been awake I think they were just in a slightly different position I don't think that they were completely moved so it's it is strange that you would be walking around a house shooting and nobody would wake up and so this makes people wonder if maybe there was somebody else and multiple people were shooting at the same time and then this leads other people to think that something supernatural or evil might have been afoot it could have it could be they're just deep sleepers I mean it could be anything but this that's kind of the thing that people call back to when talking about this case yeah I mean it does those are all valid you know questions or or theories I suppose I mean you have to do think the sixth person you know had had been sleeping during five other rifle shots yeah so that's that is a lot, but then also the neighbors didn't hear. So who knows? Yeah. Also, the motive for the murders, there's really doesn't seem to be a motive from killing his siblings. Mm-mm. And I think because of that, it makes people believe that there had to be some something else going on. It makes people, I think, want to believe that Ronald DeFeo was possessed by something because nobody wants to believe that he could just be that evil of a monster to kill his siblings. Mm-hmm children for absolutely no reason or he could just be that pissed off that pissed off that pissed over something silly like money i mean yeah look i'm not that's a that was a super privileged thing to say silly like money like i get you know i get what you're saying though life is more important than money yeah Especially for somebody like him who's never struggled for anything a day in his life. Yes. That's what I meant is someone who was as privileged as him to murder his entire family over his dad possibly not giving him more money is just, it's hard to, it's, it's because it really gets at our core that humans can be so awful to someone, to other humans Mm -hmm. over something so minor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the main motive for the dad, for him and the dad having their conflict was aside of years of tension and hostility Mm -hmm. was, I believe that Ronald was, they speculated that he had stolen money from the company that his dad ran. Oh, So that was probably coming to a head. Mm -hmm. But even in that case, there is still no motive for murdering his siblings. No. The only person that there was, which I hate to say that, but that he had a quote unquote reason to do anything to was his dad. That was the only person that there was conflict with. The only person that might be trying to get him into trouble because Mm -hmm. of his, you know, his own actions, what, what have you. But so because of that, because of loose ends, like the, you know, nobody hearing the gunshots and no real motive. I just think that loose ends like these lend themselves to theories. Mm -hmm. And people, we want to know, you know, it's like the last case I covered. Like you want to know, you want to know why and how. Mm -hmm. Ronald DeFeo Jr. died March 12th, 2021. Wow. Okay. Um, and so. Bye. He's dead. (laughs) I don't know how to end. I don't know how to say it. He died though. I don't, I'm, don't feel bad for him and um because in a case like this nobody technically owns the rights I guess is how you say it 
there have been, I believe, 25 Amityville movies. Jeez. 25. Uh, I watched the 2005 Ryan Reynolds remake of the original 1970s mm-hmm. Amityville horror movie mm-hmm. in preparation of this episode. So you're welcome. Thank you. For my hard work and determination. <laughs> and I have to say that the mental deterioration of George uh-huh. was well done because uh-huh. Ryan Reynolds played George. Yeah. But I also have to just say, have to say that his muscles were very distracting. Because <laughs> it's hard to be scared when Ryan Reynolds is half naked. Yeah, it is. I mean, because you have this like, oh, he's very scary, but he could also bring my groceries in very well, easily. They're like trying to have a ghost pop up and he's like no shirt on. So what do you think I'm looking at? Abs. Probably not the ghost. Nipples. Armpit, exactly. Armpit hair. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever you've got for me. <laughs> I'll take it, Ryan Reynolds. Um, I saw. I think that's the the version that I saw, or the 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 movie that I saw too. Yeah, it, Ryan Reynolds did a good job. It was good. It it was entertaining. But I, I think the scariest part to me was the, were the flies. <laughs> oh yeah, and there these movies take so many liberties with the actual case that after I researched these the case and then I watched this movie I'm like that was just two hours of lies and muscles Mm -hmm. so great yeah that was interesting I actually didn't know the I knew the gist of it but I didn't know the details so thank you so much for sharing that because that's a big that's a big one and and for me personally I feel like paranormal is so sometimes it's hard to cover because it's I don't know the right term relative I guess Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's objective. And so many people, I think, like we've said before, try to fake it till they make it because they want, they believe it to be mm-hmm. true, but they don't have the evidence. And so then they, and I do think that there probably was weird things that happened after. Yeah, for sure. But I also believe that things were definitely exaggerated to make money off of it, mm-hmm. which is just a weird which is like so fucked up man like it's that oh god i hate that a year after a year after that's just it's too soon yeah i think i'm going to watch another amityville okay during spooky season and there are it looks like three amityville movies that came out this year so that's fine three Oh, wait, maybe four. Oh, my God. And there was, like, two that came out last year. They're just – a lot of them are, like, little independent films. Okay. It's just like I said. It's a name everybody knows. So there's literally, like, five movies a year, I think. But there is one called Amityville Vampire. <gasps> now <So>. that <laughs> is my kind of style. So if I can find it, I will watch and report back. Oh, my gosh. I love There's that. also Amityville Moon that looks like it is a werewolf. Oh, my goodness. I love these mashups. There's a lot. There's there's cults. There's hex. There's scarecrow. Oh. There's a lot of stuff going on here. So I'm, I'm going to look into it. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a, the I, you know, it's a franchise that definitely has stuck around for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I think, I mean... The house itself, like the outside, it looks 
weird. It just is is a oddly built house. Like I the like windows, the house from the outside. It I like it too, and I think it that also the house itself like stands out too, and I just feel like it's I don't know. It's it just it won't go away, which is fine. I don't have a problem with Amityville. Let's make a thousand movies a year and see who, what kind of spinoff we can get. Let's do evil clowns at Amity. Like, can we do an it and Amityville mashup? I feel like we should one year watch all the Amityvilles and rank them. <gasps> oh my gosh, let's do it. Oh, we should do that for a one and done. Oh my God, that'd be so fun. <laughs> that would be like a hundred hours of work for a 20 minute one and done episode. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that story. I, you know me, I, I know like anything that's turned into a horror story, I kind of don't know it because I stay away from it purposely because, you know, I'm, you know what, I'm easing into horror movies. You know this, I'm making an effort. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, but I hate jump scares. I fucking hate it. And I have to talk to myself off a ledge through the entire movie. So that I think irritates my husband because he usually watches them with me because he does like horror movies. And I know he just wants to tell me to be quiet, but he's like too nice. Yes. And I like ask him questions and he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think in cases like this, it's good to know the real story that way. Because, you know, there were real people involved Mm -hmm. and I just think that it's good for their story to be told. Yeah. And that way, when you watch the movies, you can understand, like, this is 100% not the story, but you can still enjoy the movie. This is Hollywood's doing. Yeah. Like, they're basically separate things in my mind. Yes. They're not. They're only related by the name, basically. That's the main takeaway, I guess, from my (laughs) end of the episode, is that the Amityville movies and the actual crime are totally separate entities sharing a name. Yes. Okay. That is like my middle school nemesis who had my same name. It's a, <gasps> the exact parallel storyline. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. You're the Hollywood version, I assume. Uh, yes. I like yeah. to think so, but. She's the terrible version. <laughs> I That's what I thought, but. Okay. I digress. So. While Tiffany did Amityville, I was over here looking up the furiously the story and history and happenings of the Stanley Hotel. Yes. And this, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, The Stanley Hotel is an hour outside of Denver. And it is a stunning 140-room, 4,000-square-foot beauty with, quote, old-world charm. Now, this isn't just like a random hotel. The Stanley Hotel is pretty famous. It is on the mostly everybody's top 10 spookiest places to visit before you die or after you die. I'm going to do both. (laughs) Um, so it's like pretty well known. In 1903, an inventor named Freeland Oscar Stanley left the East Coast with his wife, Flora. So let's just get this 
Freeland and Flora were their names. I love their names. I'm going to name my twins that. I feel like it's so cute. I want to buy two dogs and name them Freeland and Flora. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Freeland had tuberculosis and he was told that like dry, fresh air would help Mm -hmm. the TB or consumption Mm -hmm. as it was. Yes. Consumption as, as it was called at the time. Freeland spent one season in Estes Park, Colorado, where the Stanley Hotel will eventually be built. And he vowed, he loved it so much and he felt so great. He left better than before he came. He vowed to go there every summer. Um, However, Freeland and Flora, the socialites they were, weren't exactly appreciative of the rustic accommodations of the Rocky Mountains in 1903. So he came in and wanted to build a luxury hotel for East Coast socialites and also people with tuberculosis, which is a striking combination of that's a fancy mix. and <laughs> it's like yeah. a mixed bag of guests. Yeah. <laughs> Are they at least on different sides of the property or just mix it up, like mix them together? Can you imagine some like rich socialite going and checking in and being like, I would like a non-tuberculosis room, please? <laughs> <laughs> I think you would have to say that. I don't. Oh, man. Um, So I thought this was kind of silly and like typical socialite, like people coming to the native land and being like, you know what this needs? A luxury hotel. Honestly, I want to be these people, though, (laughs) where you go on vacation and then you're like, you know what? Not a hotel here. We'll fucking build one. Yeah. Actually, what a nice life. Um, So... They built the hotel, and it was a pretty fucking big deal. Okay, so they did not skimp on accommodations. Uh, They pulled out all the stops. So on the Stanley Hotel's website, it says there was, quote, electric lights, telephones, in-suite restrooms, a staff of uniformed servants and a fleet of automobiles were at guests' disposal. And all the tuberculosis you could want. It was a smorgasbord. <laughs> their their restaurant was called the TB Cafe. TB Tavern. TB Tavern. <laughs> so it this hotel was a huge success. It was pretty fancy. And so from 1903 to about the 1970s, it did well. There, was, there wasn't any recorded murders or um, traumatic deaths listed at the hotel during this time. The only thing was at one point the electric lighting system was down, so they had to use their backup gas lantern system. Mm-hmm. And in room 217, which is a pretty infamous room at the hotel, mm-hmm. a housekeeper by the name of Elizabeth Wilson was lighting the gas lamps and there was a gas leak and it caused mm-hmm. a huge explosion and it oh, actually, shit. yeah, it actually blew. I'm sorry to laugh. This is not funny. Um, it actually just, the, <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Get it together. Welcome to hell. So it actually blew Elizabeth down a floor 
<laughs> Wait, what? Yes. They, like okay. through the ground? Through, through the floor? The floor. It blew her to the second or she was on this, I believe she's on the second floor, and it blew her down to the first floor. Is this a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon? What That's is what going on here? It's so funny to me because I just see like cartoon characters just, anyways. So it did, um, nobody died. Elizabeth was blown. She didn't die? No. She. Okay. <laughs> what? So she actually broke both of her ankles. Um, um, for obvious reasons, I mean, she was, <laughs> she literally would just blown through the floor and landed on both of her feet. She was torpedoed through the ground. Yes. During an explosion and she only broke her ankles. Yes. I mean, she had some like other cuts and abrasions, but she told, made a full recovery and continued her career there as housekeeping services. They didn't even give her a promotion. <laughs> no, I would have been... I want manager position or I'm out. I'm I'm out. I'm taking my two broken ankles and I'm out of 5,000. Slowly though. I'm crawling because both of my ankles are broken. <laughs> I, I'm going to need. <laughs> I hope she at least got a shift drink that day. Maybe. That day. She Just got... one beer. <laughs> um, 12 other people were injured. Most... Um, Actually, everybody was on staff that was injured, so no guests were injured. Um, and um, some say that she hung around in the afterlife and she still sticks to her housekeeping routine in room 217. Um, so that's kind of the infamy behind room 217. And like Amityville Horror, a lot of the media and like Hollywood have kind of hyped up 217. They've embellished added you know details it's you know didn't really happen so she broke three ankles for instance (laughs) um so by the 1970s the stanley hotel fell into disrepair um just for lack of care and lack of funds and tourism at the stanley hotel kind of died out and this is when in 1974 horror author Stephen King while staying in Colorado visited the Stanley Hotel with his wife and I find this so interesting because when they arrived this was already kind of like a a fading hotel anyways and they Mm -hmm. arrived later in the season so they basically arrived to this practically empty resort how fucking fun would that be? Yeah, seriously. And he gave an interview and it was, I thought it was so interesting. And I'm going to quote his interview. And he said, quote, but when we arrived, they were just getting ready to close for the season. And we found ourselves the only guests in the place with all these long, empty corridors. Uh King and his wife were served dinner in an empty dining room accompanied by orchestra music, quote, except for our table, all the chairs were up on the table. So the music is echoing down the hall. And I mean, it was like God had put me there to hear that and see those things. And by the time I went to bed that night, I had the whole book in my mind. So this full staff is here. The music is playing. 
the lights are are lit the tablecloths are on the tables but then there's other bits that are kind of closing up so it does really I think he really embodied the Stanley Hotel in The Shining Mm -hmm. so he says that in another interview he gave he said that um, they went to bed and then he got up and he wandered the hotel all night walking down all the hallways he got a drink from a bartender named Grady and um, and then he went back to his room and he went into the bathroom and he pulled back the pink shower curtain and looked at the clawfoot tub and he thought to himself what if somebody was murdered here and that and then the shining was just really coming to life in his head and he began writing it and he also said in another interview that he had terrible dreams that night while he slept and he did feel uh, a weirdness and maybe heard some whisperings going on now Here's the thing about a writer who's writing for a big publishing company. Like, were these different interviews PR moves? Um, I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But so so after that, after Stephen King went there, wrote The Shining, it was released in 1977, uh, The Stanley Hotel, never been better. So I just think... It, he just breathed life into this hotel and mm-hmm. and and people go there and they expect they f- they find what they expect you know what i mean you're, you're gonna get what you're looking for totally we actually did last spooky season we did a listener mm-hmm. write-in episode and this fantastic guy mike the wine guy wrote in and him and his wife stayed there and they had a fucking fantastic experience so good fantastic in the way that if you're into paranormal they had one of the most chilling paranormal stories that i have ever heard somebody tell Mm -hmm. and so i think you go and if you're open to it you might experience it that's a fun episode check it out if you want to hear some true spooky stories it totally is and there was yeah, there was also a story of a guy in um, who grew up in Chico, went to college in Chico, California, not far from us, and he had a really fucking creepy story. I I I find that hauntings when they for me when they happen in unexpected places, like a traditionally non scary place, is even scarier. Mm-hmm. So like in the middle of a frat house, you see a fucking ghost walking around when you're playing beer pong, like that's scary to me. I don't know. I think frat houses maybe are the most terrifying places I've ever been. <laughs> True. That's, that's so <laughs> I would love to go to the Stanley. Woo-hoo-hoo. Oh, I totally would. I mean, and there's been stories circling the internet. I looked on Reddit. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much the only thing I found on Reddit is how fantastic the bar is there. So. <gasps> oh, my God. We have to go. I know. They 40th have a 40th birthday trip. Let's do it. Except for I think people go there to ski and I can't do anything. Well, we could go there to build snowman. Like a 10-year-old. <laughs> um, we're hitting the, 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 tubing, the tubing hills. I could tube like I, a motherfucker. Hey, I went tubing. I did not go skiing last year or snowboarding last year, but I did go fucking tubing. And let me tell you, it is fun. I almost died. Broke all the bones in my body. I pulled an Elizabeth Wilson. Almost broke both my ankles. Bo- broke both my ankles. You broke all three of your ankles? 
I was almost blown to the first floor. <laughs> anyway, of I got mounted. Yes, I can't think about that because I laugh every time. So, a couple uh, thing, a couple rumors that are floating around from past guests are um, room four twenty eight has a friendly cowboy. And he just Ooh. comes in and kind of sits. He's been known or reported to kiss women on the forehead. Excuse me. Get the fuck away from me, sir. Don't need a kiss on my forehead. Um, and he's even left the room when somebody has asked him to leave. So. Um, Mosey on out of here. They, yeah. Just don't let the saloon doors hit you on the ass on the way out. And uh, there's also been reports of ghost children that like to play in room 418. <gasps> Ooh, I don't like to see the kids. Is, that's so scary. Yep, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say fuck no to that. And uh, a little girl that was staying with her mom in that room reported a young boy had tickled her in the night. <gasps> Ew! But- I hope that was a ghost or a dream. <laughs> Seriously, fuck. The concert hall is kind of known for its paranormal activity. So much so that they used to enforce a curfew in because for the ghosts, pe- yes, because people were like hearing and feeling a lot of these ghosts here are reportedly very touchy feely. Um, they have Lucy the ghost also haunts the hall. Now, see, these are kind of wild internet stories because this wasn't reported anywhere like legitimate. Um, Mm -hmm. the story is Lucy was caught doing something she wasn't supposed to and staff threw her out and she froze to death and now she haunts the hall, which I didn't find anything legitimate backing that story up. But that's a fun urban legend. And I think that that is kind of what, with both of our stories, I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to is that even if something happened in the place, the stories that people talk about are ones that are just made up. They're just the lore you know, yes. the legend of a place it doesn't have to be based on fact. And after so much time of people believing a place is a certain way, I kind of think that it just is. Yeah. And I, it's almost like you create that. I don't like you manifest. Mm-hmm. It manifests like society or this group of people that go there that want to experience something manifest those experience or maybe they're just more open to it or i don't know i think it's i think it's fucking cool the um the bar and restaurant look fantastic they have a whiskey bar it's specifically a whiskey bar um obviously they serve other alcohol but um it's beautiful it is Mm -hmm. beautiful um so i think i i could totally see why it's like on top 10 spookiest places to visit before you die. I'm in. I mean, I don't know if that's the name of the list. That's what I'm calling the list. That's the list that Kathy... Kathy? <laughs> Why did I call you Kathy? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know anybody named Kathy. <laughs> it's the list that Cassie authored. Yes. I just put Cassie and authored together, which turns you into Kathy. <laughs> so that's a Stanley Hotel. I mean, if you've been there... And you've experienced something or you've been there and you didn't experience anything but good food and good whiskey, then, you know, DM us, DM us, send us an email. We'd love to hear about if the hype is real, if the hype is not real. Um, And I just want to say before we wrap this episode out, thank you so much for listening to this block and have a safe Halloween. Good idea. Yeah. Just keep it safe and have some fun in a safe way. 
and um, we are looking, I'm looking forward to Halloween. This is kind of like, you know, it's the start of holiday season for me is Halloween. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it too. I've had such a fun spooky season and this block kind of finishes up that, you know, for us here on the pod. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for actual Halloween. I have a lot of costume work that I have to do for me and my children, apparently. And I'm trying to just chug as many scary movies as I possibly can. Me and Cassie both took separately together, watched Hush this last weekend. Very fun. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. I, um, yeah, and I'm trying to, I'm not exactly chugging horror movies. I'm, I would say I'm cautiously sipping horror movies. She's, she's at the wine tasting and I'm in, you know, just taking a sip and I'm in the closet with the bottle and I'm just slamming it. (laughs) You're doing keg stands. Yes. Yes. Hush was fun though, right? Yes, I really did like Hush. I did. I really like that actress and I'm such a turd because I don't know her name. But she is stars in mostly Mike Flanagan's movies and Mm -hmm, that's a director. mm -hmm. I do remember his name. Even more of a turd move. (laughs) Her name is the beautiful Kate Siegel. Siegel as in the bird? (laughs) <laughs> or maybe it's Seigel. It's S-I-E-G-E-L. Uh, yeah, maybe Seigel. Oh, or Seigel. And she is Hachimama. Yeah, she yes, is. Yes, please. Yeah, that movie was so good. I um, I liked it. My husband watched it with me and he liked it too. He liked, he liked movies. It was gory, but he liked movies like that. I mean, he likes thrillers. It was thrillers. gory, but it wasn't like it was also psychological i i think that's how i'm going to ease into horror movies is i'm going to start with the psychological thrillers and ease my way into and i'm giving myself almost like exposure therapy where i'm watching Mm -hmm. little clips like on youtube of just clips of like the scariest parts of horror movies Mm -hmm. and i'm kind of like desensitizing myself to horror movies the video version of you Wikipediaing a movie. <laughs> it's fine. I'll let it pass. Um, I am okay with gore as long as it makes sense to the story mm-hmm. and adds to it and isn't just like, re re no reason. Yeah. I, I did watch um, Halloween Kills. I'm going to watch that. No spoilers. Okay. I won't spoil it. I watched we'll it. We'll report though. back next episode. Yes. Okay. Oh, we will. Okay. Fun, 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 fun. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of spooky season and Halloween itself. Have fun. Be safe. Like I said, like we said. And don't forget to love yourself, lock your doors, and light some sage. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. So. And closing out our block on, how do we say it, real life horrors? Yeah, it was um, horrors come to town. No, horrors come into town. Horrors come into town. That is okay. our tour. If we ever go on tour, <laughs> the, the, that is our tour. Um, real life horrors. Okay. 